Thank you for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Hussein Naji, who is an assistant professor of health policy at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Dr. Naji's research focuses on pharmaceutical regulation, health policy evaluation, and the comparative effectiveness of new and existing interventions in healthcare, which is something that we will talk about in more detail today. Dr. Naji, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Just recently, the BJSM published the results from your meta-analysis that compared the effects of exercise treatment with antihypertensive medications on blood pressure. Before we talk about the study itself, could you start by sharing with our listeners a bit about the history of antihypertensive medications and what is known about their use today? So over the past 50 years or so, we've had several new classes of antihypertensive medications coming on the market uh, for prescription for people to lower their systolic blood pressures. Um, We have very old classes of drugs such as diuretics and more recent drugs such as calcium channel blockers. And one thing that's quite interesting is that um, over the past 30 or so years, and especially over the past decade, there has been a real, really stark increase in the proportion of people in the population that have been prescribed antihypertensive medications. In England alone, we know that over the past 10 years or so, about 50% of an increase has been observed in the numbers of people who are prescribed antihypertensive medications. And it's very interesting to note that just Last year, um, less than a year ago, actually, very influential, prominent professional organizations such as the American Cardiology, College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association um, have published their most recent guidelines for the management and control of um, hypertension, and they have lowered the threshold, uh, the systolic blood pressure threshold for the definition of hypertension, which actually uh, will very likely mean that many more people will be eligible for drug therapy for uh, their high blood pressure. It's no secret to the sport and exercise medicine community that exercise is incredibly beneficial for improving cardiovascular disease and its risk factors. What does the data suggest about exercise effects on blood pressure? So there are several systematic reviews and meta-analyses of both randomized controlled trials as well as observational studies looking at the effect of um, exercise interventions um, defined quite variably in different studies um, and their effect on systolic blood pressure. And there's been uh, quite consistent findings from these previous systematic reviews and meta-analyses suggesting that exercise seems to be effective in lowering baseline systolic blood pressure levels in quite different types of populations, even healthy adults. But the effect seems to be quite modest, and it really changes according to the setting in which exercise has been studied and the type of exercise intervention that has been uh, studied in different studies. So there's there's quite a vast, I would say, uh, large body of literature uh, that is looking at the effect of exercise on, on systolic blood pressure. But Until about 2013 or so, um, this body of literature had not been uh, synthesized in systematic reviews and meta-analyses. And what we know now is that uh, exercise seems to be, uh, appears to be effective in lowering systolic blood pressure. Okay, so having said all of that, could you now provide our listeners with a brief overview of your most recent study? So in this study, we are um, comparing the effectiveness of drug interventions, antihypertensive medications, and exercise interventions on their effect on systolic blood pressure levels in different populations. 
And in particular, um, we are interested in evaluating the effect of exercise and drug interventions in populations with hypertension. So people who have been identified as having high blood pressure and, and, and systolic blood pressure uh, in particular. And in this study, we are doing a network meta-analysis, which is an extension of traditional or typical meta-analysis methods that many of your listeners will be very familiar with to essentially combine both direct sources of information and indirect sources of information, which means that even in cases where interventions have not been compared to each other head-to-head in studies in randomized controlled trials, we are able to indirectly compare the effect of, let's say, exercise interventions to drug interventions using control groups or groups of people who have not received either drugs or exercise as an anchor, as a common comparator, so that we can actually identify and and, and evaluate how exercise compares to drug interventions. Could you provide some examples of the comparators that were included in these studies for the exercise interventions and for the medication trials? So the types of control or comparator arms that are included are very variable. Um, In the case of medication trials, they seem to have a medication being compared to no medication or in some cases, one dose of the medication being compared to another dose of the medication, or one type of medication being compared to another type of medication. In the case of exercise trials, what is really interesting is that there are really no trials that we could identify in our study that compared directly the effect of exercise to a drug intervention. And in the majority of cases, actually in all of the cases that we've identified, exercise trials compare one exercise intervention to another, or an exercise intervention to no exercise intervention, so people not doing any structured exercise um, activity. Could you also speak a little bit about the inclusion criteria for the participants and for the exercise interventions in the meta-analysis? Sure. So the types of individuals uh, that we have focused on in terms of our eligibility criteria are people who are followed up for the effect to observe the effect of um, exercise in terms of systolic blood pressure with no established cardiovascular disease or any other established chronic illness such as cancer, cerebrovascular disease or others. In the case of medication trials, the inclusion criteria is very similar. We have relied on previously published meta-analyses that actually synthesize the findings of randomized controlled trials of drug interventions on their effects on systolic blood pressure. So these are individuals who are eligible for drug therapy to lower their blood pressure. So they tend to have high blood pressure as defined in those original trials. And they also do not have established cardiovascular disease or other chronic illnesses that may influence um, their blood pressure levels. And how old were these patients? So it really depends. What we're seeing is that across the board, around um, in, in, in exercise trials, actually individuals could range from very healthy young people in their uh, kind of early 20s all the way to very older populations. But in the, exor- in the drug trials, there's more of a more consistent kind of age grouping and on average around 55 years of age or so is the mean age included in drug trials. So across the board, I think on average, I would say that around 50 to 60 years of age is the average for both exercise trials and for 
uh, medication trials, but there's more of a variability in the exercise trials, going from very young individuals to much older individuals. And Dr. Naji, were you able to divide the exercise interventions into categories, such as endurance or resistance training, or type of exercise, such as running or perhaps cycling? So we have categorized exercise interventions into, um, into endurance, dynamic resistance, isometric, and a combination of endurance and dynamic resistance uh, types of exercise. And within endurance, we included um, different types of, of forms of exercise, including walking, jogging, swimming, running, um, high interval intensity, high intensity interval training. As part of dynamic resistance, we included uh, exercise that very much focused on strength training uh, with dumbbells or machines. And isometric exercise was very much kind of static strength building types of exercise. And the combination was naturally the combination of uh, endurance forms of exercise with dynamic resistance types of exercise. So our listeners can stop holding their breath. Can you share the results of the study? Sure. So I think there are two key findings that I would like to highlight. The first is the overall amount of information or data that's available from exercise trials versus drug trials. Um, There is a paucity of evidence on the whole coming from exercise interventions. There are fewer exercise trials that we could identify as compared to drug trials. And exercise trials seem to be much smaller in the number of people included as compared to drug intervention trials. So that's that's kind of our major finding, I think. The second major finding is how exercise interventions fare against drug interventions in terms of their um, effect on systolic blood pressure levels. And what we find is that overall, if we are including all of the populations that we have identified in our systematic review and meta-analysis, in our analysis, then we find drug interventions to be more effective in lowering systolic blood pressure than exercise interventions. And this makes sense because a lot of the exercise trials are actually including people who are healthy and who do not have high blood pressure to begin with. So we have then extended this analysis and did sensitivity analyses to look at the effect, the comparative effect of exercise versus drug interventions in populations that were labeled as hypertensive. So we adopted a threshold or a cutoff of systolic blood pressure higher than 140 millimeter mercury as our definition of hypertension. And we included exercise trials that included populations with higher systolic blood pressure at baseline than 140 millimeter mercury. So that this was a more comparable population to those included in the medication trials. And when we did this type of an analysis, comparing like with like, then we found exercise interventions to appear as effective as drug interventions in lowering systolic blood pressure. And what happened when you started to adopt higher systolic blood pressure cutoffs within the nearly 40,000 participants that were included in the meta-analysis? So we have used different cutoffs to define hypertension, and this was uh, primarily driven by the recent changes to practice guidelines, such as the American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology guidelines that lowered the cutoff or the threshold for uh, the definition of hypertension, which is now 130 millimeter mercury. And then we also adopted a much higher cutoff of 150 millimeter mercury, uh, which is a lot more consistent 
with the mean average systolic blood pressure at baseline in the drug trials. And as we increased our cutoff, we saw that exercise interventions seemed to appear more and more effective than drug interventions. Um, and in some cases, some forms of exercise also appeared a bit more effective than drug interventions as we increased our threshold or cutoff of, de of defining hypertensive populations. But I should note that as we increased our cutoff of um, hypertension and adopted a higher threshold of 150 millimeter mercury to define hypertensive populations, what we saw was that we had very limited evidence from exercise interventions. There were very few people included in these trials as compared to drug trials. So we have, uh, what, we, what we actually get from these analyses is a very uncertain and variable uh, set of results. So we should really interpret these findings with a, with a bit of caution. Were you able to determine which type or dosage of exercise was best for lowering systolic blood pressure? So we're seeing that um, unlike previous systematic reviews and meta-analyses, over the past 10 years or so, uh, there have been a lot of recent randomized controlled trials evaluating the effect of dynamic resistance types of exercise and also combination of endurance and dynamic resistance types of exercise. And unlike previous systematic reviews that found very little evidence that these forms of exercise are effective, we're now finding quite strong evidence that both dynamic resistance and combination of dynamic resistance and endurance exercise seem to be quite effective in lowering systolic blood pressure. Now, this does not mean that one form is better than the other. In our network meta-analyses, we have been pitting one intervention against the other and looking at all sorts of combinations or all sorts of comparisons across uh, different types of different forms of exercise. And um, there are some indications that combination exercise may be the most effective form of exercise. But also, again, I should note that um, the amount of information that's available from combination exercise gets more and more limited as we focus or as we restrict ourselves to more hypertensive populations. So I wouldn't necessarily say that one form of exercise seems to be the winner or it does, is, is, is the, has the most favorable results, but they consistently have effective, uh, they, they consistently seem to be effective in lowering systolic blood pressure from baseline. Dr. Naji, I'd like to take you back a number of years and talk about your classic 2013 BMJ paper that's now been cited nearly 500 times. You evaluated the comparative effectiveness of pharmacological and non-pharmacological interventions on mortality. Could you remind our listeners what the findings were from that analysis and explain where your recent study fits into the bigger picture? Sure. So in, in that 2013 study, what we were interested in finding out was the extent to which exercise has been evaluated in terms of its mortality benefits. And in instances where exercise had been evaluated, then how does it look in uh, comparison to drug interventions? So we only found four therapeutic areas where exercise's effect uh, was evaluated in terms of its mortality benefits. These were secondary prevention of coronary heart disease, heart failure, rehabilitation after stroke, and prevention of diabetes. And in these four instances where effect of exercise was available on its mortality benefits, then we looked at all of the information that was also available on drugs and drugs mortality benefits in these four conditions. And what we found was that exercise seemed to be as effective as drug interventions in these four 
therapeutic indications or, or therapeutic areas. So in terms of how this fits within the broader picture, of course, our 2013 paper looked at the mortality benefits of exercise. And although this is a very, uh, it's, it's the ultimate, most important outcome that we should all be uh, concerned about or interested in, we wanted to look at more short-term modifiable risk factors of cardiovascular disease. And we focused on systolic blood pressure in our current paper. Systolic blood pressure, of course, being the leading cause of death and disability around the world, according to the Global Burden of Disease study, uh, we wanted to focus on and identify and understand how exercise compares to drug interventions on this particular important risk factor. What are the implications of the recent antihypertensive study for policy and clinical practice? Do the results mean that clinicians should be looking to prescribe exercise instead of medications when managing patients with hypertension? So one thing that I would like to emphasize is, um, in addition to what our study means uh, or what the implications are for clinical practice, I want to start with saying what it doesn't mean or what it shouldn't lead to in clinical practice. And that is, we don't think that on the basis of our study, patients should stop taking their antihypertensive medications without a very thorough, careful discussion with their physicians. In terms of what this means for clinical practice, we think that, um, we, we hope that our findings will inform uh, a very evidence-based discussion between physicians and their patients uh, when people are eligible for antihypertensive medications. Maybe they will consider exercise to be a viable alternative to medications in certain populations, um, of course, depending on the individual and their willingness to actually take, take up exercise and, and follow it through. But we have also been very careful in the discussion section of our paper in formulating our policy recommendations in light of this, because it's, it's one thing to recommend uh, physicians to start prescribing exercise to their patients, but also we need to be cognizant about the resource implications of this and whether we can actually ensure that patients or individuals who have been referred to physical activity or exercise interventions can adhere to those physical activity or exercise interventions, and they can really derive benefits from these types of interventions. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's an interesting and complicated picture that emerges from this, because of course we would want to see more discussions in the context of shared decision-making about the use of exercise as an alternative to drug therapy in certain types of patient populations. Before we let you go, could you leave our listeners with three key clinical takeaway points from your recent study or other work that you think they should be mindful of in their practice? I think it would be important to understand that uh, until now, exercise interventions have been considered in isolation from drug interventions or medication interventions in clinical practice guidelines and in any other kind of recommendations. And Hopefully, our paper is contributing to um, a better understanding that exercise can be compared to drug interventions head-to-head -head, um, using available information. And when such comparisons actually do take place, exercise seems to be quite effective as compared to drug interventions. Another takeaway, I think, is the relative paucity of information that's available on uh, exercise interventions. And I hope that we can all be advocates for additional research to actually directly compare exercise to the drug interventions 
interventions head-to-head in future studies. And the third and final takeaway point, I think, is the health system implications of this type of work and the resource implications of prescribing exercise or referring people to exercise and what this means for the time and resource constraints um, in our healthcare systems. I think this is uh, going to open up an important debate, which I hope um, our paper will contribute to. Dr. Naji, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you. If our listeners would like to find out more about you or your work, where should they go? I'm a new member of the Twitter community, so hopefully um, some of your listeners will be able to follow my work through Twitter. You've been listening to a BJSM podcast with Dr. Hussein Naji. You can read Dr. Naji's latest paper online, The BJSM Today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends or leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow BJSM and stay up to date via the usual social media channels or download the BJSM app where you can find more podcasts, our latest articles and other content. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.